You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for You Better You Bet. We'll give you an edge to beat the spread and so much more. What do we call that? Wagertainment. It's You Better You Bet from BetQL. It's You Better You Bet, Tuesday, January 9th. January 16th. Jeez, I don't even know what day it is. Uh, Nick and Ken with the day off. It is You Better You Bet, though. You could watch us right now on many different places. You could check us out on Stadium from 4 to 6 Eastern. You could also listen to You Better You Bet live on Sirius Channel 160 and Sirius XM 205. Watchstadium.com. Click right there. You could watch the show. I almost just got myself distracted, and I saw a fake report that uh, Jim Harbaugh had accepted the Chargers job. That's not real, though, and now I have to mute an account. That's my only problem with uh, Twitter with X. There's a lot of fake accounts. Yeah. But I do expect Jim Harbaugh I- I- to become the next head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. Doesn't that just make complete sense? It does. No, I agree with you. I think the bigger question is what's going to happen in Michigan. Like, we were all wrapped up in Alabama and who's replacing Nick Saban. Like, we're kind of forgetting that one of the premier jobs in the country might open up here in a couple days. You would think they're probably just going to go with Sharon Moore. Like, that would make the most sense. But have you heard the rumors of Brian Kelly maybe going to Ann Arbor? Yeah, I can't see that happening. I think I it's got to be Sharon I think LSU's his last stop. So I think it's got to be more. I think it's more, too. Has to be I, more. I mean, you saw when Harbaugh, I mean, he coached in the two biggest games of right. the regular season, Ohio right. State and Penn State. Exactly. He's got the credibility. Yeah. I no, think I that agree. makes complete sense. And then if he's not the answer, you make another hire here in like three, four years. But I think Harbaugh to the Chargers makes complete sense. I think he could turn that thing around with Justin Herbert. Um but I do like. I don't think that's the best job. Uh, I love Justin Herbert, but Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, never stay on the field. Quentin Johnson looks to be a complete bust. The defense is a big mess. Yeah. Uh, I kind of like the Commanders' job to be honest. You have the number two overall pick. You know, even if you don't end up with Caleb Williams, he goes to Chicago, or you're not able to move up. You get Drake May most likely. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the Cowboys are always going to be the Cowboys. We'll see what they do with Mike McCarthy. Philadelphia, maybe they're not a shoe in to win the division like we thought uh, after what they did last year. And then the Giants, I like the coaching staff, but that's about it. We the good see what thing, they do. too, about the Washington job is expectations are so low. Like, if you're a head coach and you come in here just living in this area, Ryan, they will be a legend. Right. If you get that team to be, like, a playoff perennial team and you get them to, like, NFC championship games, get them to a Super Bowl, oh, my God. You well, you finally be, have people in charge, too, that have on. a clue. Oh, exactly. Or at least we think that they have that's a clue. That's the big thing. Dan Snyder finally gone, so— yep. Yeah, and you get but, the number two pick. Like that's the most attractive thing is you're getting either Drake May or Caleb Williams. So, and I like the moves that they made. Like at the time, I didn't know what the Bears were doing, making a trade for Montez Sweat, but that worked out because their really defense good. was top yeah. ten the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. And with the Niners, I thought, um, I'm sorry, with uh, moving on from Chase Young, moving him to the Niners, I thought that was a good move too. I like Chase Young, but I like him more in San Francisco opposite Nick Bosa. He's never going to be like a 14 and a half, 15 and a half sack guy. Right. So I'm not going to pay him like that. Uh, speaking of Nick Bosa, though, he will be going for San Francisco. They're nine and a half point favorites against the Green Bay Packers. 
who do upset the Dallas Cowboys. 50 and a half is the total in this game. I still kind of like the over. Green Bay on the money line, plus 350. San Francisco, minus 450. We have saw this matchup now. Uh, Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur obviously comes from the Kyle, uh, Kyle Shanahan coaching tree. And we saw um, in the NFC Championship game back in 2019, 2020, it was San Francisco winning that game 37-20. to 20. Raheem Mostert ran for 220 yards in that game. Jimmy Garoppolo only had to drop back nine times. Crazy. Blew out the Packers. Both teams were 13-3 and three that season. That was Matt LaFleur's first year as head coach for Green Bay. Mm. Then we saw this two years ago where Green Bay was 13-3 and three going into this game. San Francisco was a 10-win team. And San Francisco didn't even score an offensive touchdown and still won the game. They had a block punt. They had a block kicked. Block kick in the game. And it's just because I think Kyle Shanahan has the advantage over Matt LaFleur. He definitely has the advantage over Joe Barry. I know the defense has been much better the last couple of weeks, although even though Dallas did hang 30-plus on him, yeah. um, I think this is a really bad matchup for Green Bay. I know they're going to be a really public play. I like the Niners. I haven't done anything with the total, but I would lean over. There's a prop I really like, but what are your thoughts on this one? It's rare that in Divisional Weekend I like as many sides this week as I do, like really feel good about them. I really like the Niners. I really like a minus 9.5. So our social team here at BetQL for BetQL Daily posted a poll of to viewers and listeners and all that and people on Twitter. If you had to back one underdog this weekend, if you had to take the Texans, the Packers, the Bucks, or the Chiefs, who would you back? And the most popular dog by far was the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, we're screwed. And I'm like, that's all I needed to know. Because, Ryan, here's what happens, okay? We come into the playoffs, and everybody thinks Dallas is going to roll Green Bay. Everybody's like, Dallas is at home. They won 17 straight. They score a million points. Green Bay is just lucky to be in. A seven seed has never won in Super Wild Card Weekend since they expanded to seven teams. And now Green Bay goes into Dallas, and... Again, Green Bay always dominates Dallas, and it's Dallas in the playoffs. And Jordan Love, who has been playing great the last three weeks of the season, continues to play great. And now we're just going to change everything that we thought about Green Bay, and we're going to take them against San Francisco, who has been steamrolling everybody in the NFC this season when they're fully healthy. So now we we want to take Green Bay. Like, there's a reason why this line is as high as it is. This is going to be one of those games where people who bet Green Bay plus the points are going to be sitting there four minutes in, and they're going to be like, what have I done? Because we haven't seen San Francisco play in three weeks. We're going to remember how incredible Christian McCaffrey is. George Kittle's probably going to have a buck 50. Debo Samuel's going to be running and receiving. Ayuk's going to be doing his thing. The defense is going to make life miserable for Jordan Love. Like, it's just a bad matchup. And you just mentioned, historically, like, it's just a bad matchup for Green Bay. I don't see anything changing this time around. Now, Green Bay has been great as dogs this season. Beat the Chiefs on Sunday night as touchdown dogs. Won on Thanksgiving against the Lions as touchdown dogs. Just beat Dallas. Like, they're great in this spot, which is going to draw more people to them. But, man, now that we're under the 10, love San Francisco. But as I told you, like, I really think the play that I kind of like the most is the team total over for the Niners. 29.5, to me, that's the play. Generally, if you like the over in the game, which I kind of am leaning towards, and you like the favorite, just taking the team total over is the way to go. Man, I mean, as you know, like, Joe Barry, it just, I mean, he's going to struggle in this game. Like, I don't think they're going to get much stops. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. see, I agree. I think this is a really bad matchup for Green Bay, and I think Dallas was a great matchup. The Cowboys would probably still be playing 
But like I liked so even if I know Detroit was really hungry to see him again, but I probably would have bet Dallas in that game to be honest. I just thought Green Bay was a terrible matchup, and also because if you look at the second half of the season, we thought of Dallas because of Dan Quinn and Micah Parsons is a good defense, and they were a good pass rush number one there. But they weren't a good defense. 48% of passes and 44% of runs, I believe, graded successful. And when you go back and you look at it, Dallas, yeah, 8-0 at home, but they played a bottom 10 schedule of offenses the second half of the season. So they were in, like, shock when they saw Jordan Love and Wicks and Dobbs, who the week before was coughing up blood in the hospital because they couldn't defend all those wide receivers because Stephon Gilmore was dealing with the shoulder injury. They lost Diggs early on in the season, and that secondary just wasn't very good unless they were getting pressure, and you couldn't do that against Green Bay because their O-line is number two in pass block win rate even without Bakhtiari. Jordan Love, since week 12, has been a top-five quarterback by every metric. He's getting rid of the ball quicker. He only has one turnover. He's taking the underneath stuff. He's going through all this progressions, and the Cowboys couldn't stop the run. They were 30th against the run, so that was a bad matchup. But San Francisco can stop the run. And if they take away Aaron Jones in that run game and they force Jordan Love to drop back 35, 40 times in this game, I know he's been great, but, you know, they're going to get some pressure naturally with Nick Bosa and with Chase Young. And then they have Fred Warner patrolling the middle of the field, so you're not going to be able to do all the stuff that you were able to do in the middle of the field against Dallas because Dallas, with their linebackers, couldn't cover the middle of the field. That's why you saw Tucker Craft and Luke Musgrave have pretty big games for Green Bay and both get in the end zone. But San Francisco doesn't give up that stuff. The only thing, you know, we were all making the case for the Rams against San Francisco because they could push the ball down the field, and that's how you beat the Niners. That's their only weakness on that defense is their secondary, and you could hit them with explosive stuff. Why can't Green Bay do the same stuff, though, with Jordan Love pushing the ball down the field, with Christian Watson now healthy and with Wicks out there? Right. You know, maybe that is a bad matchup, but... I'm with you, man. I don't see it happening. And then on the defensive side of the ball for Green Bay, they've been much better the last couple weeks, but also, like, let's look who they played. Against Dallas, that was impressive, but Dallas did get things going in the second half of that game. They Mm -hmm. scored 30-plus points. Green Bay plays a ton of zone, and you can't do that against San Francisco because Debo is going to kill you in the middle of the field. Or and George Kittle is just kill precise. you. Yeah, yeah, he's going to get rid of the ball quick. Yep. And like against uh, Minnesota and against Chicago, at least on third downs, Green Bay was able to play man coverage because Jair is playing really good football the last couple weeks of the season and he's healthy again. You can't do that against San Fran, though, because no. Brandon Ayuk's going to crush you. Right. So that leads me to my favorite prop of the playoffs. This is, um, I like it a little bit more even than I did Ferguson in the last matchup, and he had three touchdowns. Give me George Kittle over 51 and a half receiving yards. Give me George Kittle. Three and a half receptions is minus 165. So I took the plus money for four and a half, and I might keep climbing the ladder, man. Green Bay, you go back since like 1998. <laughs> they can't defend simple crossing routes. They can't defend the run, so McCaffrey's also probably going to eat here. But George Kittle, Green Bay's bottom 10 in EPA on dropbacks to tight ends. So um, bottom five in yards per coverage, explosive reception rate, missed tackle rate. They can't cover the position, so you're probably going to get a bunch of yaks. So I like the receiving yards and the receptions for George Kittle. That's my favorite play in this game, and I'm with you. I like San Francisco. Love the team total over. Hate to do it because I love the Packers, but I think that the season ends here. So listen to this. The San Francisco 49ers this season, when they have gone up against NFC teams and they have been healthy, when Purdy's starting, Debo, Ayuk, Trent Williams, McCaffrey, when they're all out there, they have played 11 NFC teams. They have won every single one of those games by double digits, except for one, and that was against the Rams. Do you remember when McVay kicked that field goal at the end and there was all that speculation if he knew what the spread was? That's the only game. 
when San Francisco won 30-23. They beat the Giants 30-12. They beat Arizona 35-16. Dallas 42-10. They beat the Bucks 27-14. They beat Seattle 31-13. Philadelphia 42-19. Seattle again 28-16. All these teams, they beat the Commanders by 17, Arizona by 16. This is what they do when they go up against the NFC. I know it looks like a lot of points with Green Bay, but there is a reason why it is yeah. that much. When San Francisco goes against the NFC and that spread is under double digits, you take San Francisco. Like, especially at home, dude, because like last year, or t- I'm sorry, two years ago, the game where they beat Green Bay 13 to 10, they don't score the offensive touchdown. That was in a really, 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 really um, like cold. That, that was a cold weather game at Lambeau Field. I forgot what the temp was, but. It was really cold. Mm-hmm. And then you go back to the game uh, in 2020 where they're at home. They hang 37, and they could have scored 50 in that game if they wanted. They just had a big lead and took their foot off the gas. But Shanahan knows how to win in the in the, in the, in the uh, playoffs. He's 7-3 and three over seven seasons. And I just – the only reason I won't lay it right now or I haven't, and I like the team total a little bit more, is just because if they do go up two scores, like I think the back door might be open in the second half if Green Bay is if Green Bay is able to hit some explosive stuff, maybe you know score some touchdowns in the second half. Right. Because I think San Francisco is just going to be able to run the ball all game long. Nobody else in the NFL, no no other team has had more runs of ten or more yards. They have seventy four in the regular season, and the Packers are twenty ninth in rushing yards against first contact, nine hundred and six yards after first contact, and they're twenty third in yards allowed per rush. Over 4.4, and now you're going against Christian McCaffrey. So that's the only thing that scares me a little bit is just the number, you know, being past eight and a half. Uh, but I think San Francisco's the play. But the team total over, I like more than laying the nine and a half right now. I, I really like that too. Yeah, I think I think San Francisco. Uh, they win this game probably by 17 points, maybe 20 points or something like that. I. I just thought the Rams were the only team in the NFC that could give them a game just because of the defenses of these other teams. Like, I don't like the way Green Bay's defense matches up against them. I don't like the way Detroit, Tampa Bay. I I think the only team that could give them a game was the Rams. So now that they're out, I think it's it's a good look for San Francisco. And, uh, you know, if you're looking at Super Bowl MVP, McCaffrey, 8-1. to one, I think that's that's a great play. Yeah, okay, so we pulled that up right now, and if you like San Francisco, and I do, I really like their path now in the NFC. Purdy, plus 375. He's right behind Lamar Jackson, plus 325 for best odds for Super Bowl MVP. Mm-hmm. And then you have McCaffrey, 8-1 to one right now over at BetMGM. I completely agree, man, because he could be the regular season MVP. It's not going to go to a running back, right. but look what he does in the receiving game. You look what he does on the ground. Again, no other team had more explosive runs, 10 or more yards. Then the 49ers, they had 73 rushes over 10 yards this season. McCaffrey's been a beast. And I love the offensive line, uh, but it's because of Trent Williams. Nobody else even really grades out all that well other than Trent Williams. So right. a lot of that is McCaffrey. You know, 806 yards after initial contact they have. So I don't hate that 8-1. to one. Um, I like them against Green Bay. I like them against Detroit or Tampa if they pull off the upset. Mm-hmm. And then the Super Bowl matchup, let's say it's Baltimore, though. You know, maybe they could shut them down. Maybe they could shut down the ground game, but I still think he would have like seven, eight receptions in that game. See, and I still think I'd like San Francisco I think if, on a neutral. Yeah, I think if the Niners and Ravens played again, like Shanahan's game plan would be totally different. It feels like in that matchup on Christmas Day or Christmas night, Shanahan came out with like a point to prove that like Purdy should be MVP and he tried to throw it way too much. 
the one successful drive they had in that first half was when they leaned on McCaffrey, and he broke off a couple big runs. He scored a touchdown. So I think if they matched up again, Shanahan would really lean on the ground game. Obviously, knowing that, you know, Purdy threw four interceptions when he last played Baltimore. So obviously the Ravens would know that, and they would know that probably San Francisco would be more run-heavy, but... I just I would trust that Niners run game more than I would against that Ravens rush defense. That is, of course, if they meet up. Yeah. Um, but whoever they play against, whether it's Buffalo, whether it's Kansas City, Houston, by some crazy, you know, shot, I, I would I would still like McCaffrey. I think he is the best play 100% on the board. We hit on Kansas City Buffalo. We both like Kansas City this week as three-point dogs. So let's say they win that game. They match up against Baltimore. Right now, Patrick Mahomes, 7-1 to Super Bowl MVP. Mm. Travis Kelsey and what could be his final game before he rides off into the sunset to go get married? 100 to 1. I mean, it's a tight end, but let's say like 10 receptions, 120 yards, and a touchdown. And what could be his final game? Yeah. Jason Kelsey looks like he's going to retire. Uh, I don't hate 100 to 1. Nah, that's pretty good. All right, we'll take a quick break. We're going to talk some NBA with Rick Camp, who actually just sent me a message, said he has a crazy divisional bet. So uh, we'll hit on that next. You better, you bet, Ryan Horvath, PJ Glasser, filling in for Nick and Ken. We'll be right back with You Better You Bet, presented by BetMGM on the BetQL Network. Let's get back to You Better You Bet, presented by BetMGM on the BetQL Network. On the BetQL Network, you better you bet. Ryan Horvath, PJ Glasser filling in today for Nick and Ken. Nick and Ken will be back on Thursday. They'll also be with you guys this weekend. Special edition of You Better You Bet, the countdown to kickoff, getting you set for Divisional Weekend. Uh, we're going to talk some NBA here with Rick Camp. Uh, check out the show, watchstadium.com backslash live, watchstadium.com. That's where you can watch the show right now for the next 40 minutes. But before we get to Rick really quick, I got some breaking news for you, PJ. I think it's the same thing that I was going to say to you. John Rothstein, uh, St. John's Rick Pitino, head coach, will not coach tonight against Seton Hall due to COVID per release. Now, you like St. John's. Do you still like St. John's no, against Seton Hall? No, I don't anymore. That was the handicap. It was a pick em. I'm getting Patino in a pick em. Give me the Johnnies against Seton Hall. But now without Rick Pitino, I, uh, I kind of like Seton Hall, honestly. I'm not going to bet the game. I'm interested to see if the line moves. Seton Hall was the small favorite at minus one and a half. And they're still minus one and a half now with the Patino news. But, man, I think Rick is worth a lot to a point spread. So that is that is big news. I'm glad I didn't bet St. John's yet because I would have been on them. Um, but that that is a big development. We'll get our whole uh, college car. We'll get everything out here for the uh, power hour coming up in about 40 minutes. But let's talk some NBA. We got three games on tap tonight. The first one tips off 730 p.m. as the 76ers host the Nuggets. They're one and a half point favorites. Talk about that and more. We welcome now Will uh, Rick Camp, uh, NBA for four for four bets. Rick, how you doing, buddy? Long time no talk. I know. Good to talk with you, uh, you guys again. You know, small slate tonight, but we got some pretty good matchups. At least. All right. Before we get to tonight, you sent me a text message. You said I have a long shot division bet that could look horrible in a week, and I kind of know where you're going here. But uh, what do you like? I was looking at that today. Where, you know, like it's nice on days where you have the only positive of having these like three game slate, twelve game slate, four game slate, eleven game slate is those days with the smaller. Uh, amount of games you can kind of look at futures a little bit more just other different prices and i had actually bet when garland and mobley got announced out for the Cavs. i had bet an all under 44 and a half wins to them and all they've done is kept winning 
And looking at where that division is right now, I figured that they'd be back a fair amount to Milwaukee. They're four games back in the standings. But I found an 11-1 to for the Cavs to win the division. Since like they're 10-3 and in their last 13, a plus 6.5 net rating, 14th in offense, 4th in defense, and that's without Mobley, also without Garland, but still. And, of course, a lot's been made of Milwaukee having the easy schedule they've had so far, second easiest looking at dunks and threes. The Cavs have had an e- in the, a schedule in the easiest third. But considering how they've kind of finally found a style, it's going to be interesting when you're integrating uh, Garland and Mobley back. But if this team has truly found something and figured out some of their depth concerns as well, I think it's really interesting, and this would be an advantageous time to play it, because in a weird scheduling quirk, three of their next five games are against the Milwaukee Bucks. So you have to hope, okay, they have to at least go two and one in those. One at home, which is tomorrow, and then a duplex spot in Milwaukee in just over a week. I think this is the time, if you believe in Cleveland at all, to at least put something small on Cleveland 11-1 to to win the division. I actually really, really like that. 8-1 to over at MGM. Shop around. You could get 11-1 to still. I actually really like that price. And Darius Garland, you brought him up. He's actually been cleared now, I saw, for on-court activities. He's got that jaw injury. But, I mean, they've been playing much better basketball. It looked like they were going to be a mess. They were 13-12, and 12, and now they're 12-3 and three without Garland. Uh, is that a concern, though, he comes back and maybe everything falls apart? Any chance they make a move here at the deadline, too? I think they're they're going to let this thing ride as is. Because I know that I know they love the fact that, and it's been part of the reason they've been better, especially offensively, is the spacing's been better. The shooting has actually really stepped up, you know, with having Struess playing even more minutes, Niang being out there, you know, and even Levert's been able to be that secondary playmaker for them. So, is it possible they revert back to their old style where they were taking, I want to say, almost ten threes a game less than they are since Garland's been out? Yeah, it's definitely possible. So there are variables. Maybe that's what gets this up to 11 is that they weren't playing as well with those two other stars. But if they're able to integrate them and figure it out and find some sort of balance, this is the time to do it. And they've got the games coming up to really be able to narrow that gap against Milwaukee if they're able to keep playing as well as they have been. Rick, what about tonight's slate? Uh, marquee game is, is Nuggets and Sixers. I mean, Embiid against Jokic is going to be awesome. Anything that you like in that game tonight? I don't have anything in that game. It's a real light card for me tonight, but that's going to be a fantastic matchup. If someone wanted to follow all the narratives and storylines and just go with some alt-overs on Embiid, since you know all he does is play good teams at home and then ducks them on the road, then, I mean, that's something that I've seen people do that, even though, you know, his number, his points prop is still up around that 33 and a half mark. I, you know, I don't, it's such, it could be such a close game. The back-to-back is interesting for the Sixers. I think it is going to be a really good game, but the only game that I have something for on this slate is I have the under 244 and a half in Sacramento Phoenix for whatever reason, Sacramento's defense is significantly better on the road, and they play slightly slower on the road as well. So even though with the big three for Phoenix, the defense has not been as good, I do like the under in that spot. And in their two previous games, not a perfect comp to this, 
because game one had no Beal, game two had no Beal or Durant. Those games flew under this total by a minimum of 20 points. So I think there is wiggle room for there to be a more offensive game. I don't know how crazy the pace is going to be because Phoenix, at least in the last few weeks, has been bottom third of the league in pace. And the Kings are working their way back up. They're really only about middle of the pack right now. So I don't think the pace is going to be quite as high as people think. And Sacramento plays a top half of the league defense when they've been on the road so far this year. So trusting those a little bit and taking under a pretty huge number. Yeah, I like that one a lot, too. I like that under look. Uh, I know you don't have a play in it, but any look or any lean in Oklahoma City and Clippers or just, like, who you kind of like? I mean, obviously, Thunder are a young team, but they're 27-12. and 12. Clippers are getting right. They're 25-14. and 14. Everybody's actually going to play in this game, it looks like, a clean injury report. Clippers are five-and-a-half-point favorites. Any lean in this game or just which team do you trust more moving forward in the West? Yeah, the only thing I've seen is uh, Vita Zubats isn't expected to play in this one. I just think it's a nasty schedule spot for Oklahoma City. A fifth game in seven nights against a team that's playing really well. So I do like the Clippers in the spot. I know Oklahoma City has done well this season on back-to-backs, but recently when they were out east, they had a a schedule spot and lost losing to the Nets. That's, That's rough, but it was partially due to the schedule. I just think the Clippers are playing so well right now, and they've been able to do it with Zubats and also without him as well. So I think they have enough versatility to be, and they've just been playing so well to be able to pull this one out. So I wouldn't, I'm just worried about Oklahoma city and there maybe being a bit of a blowout factor tonight, which is weird to say. So I'm staying away from the game because I don't know about you guys personally, but a lot of I've been burned a bit by some of these blowouts and really it's leaned me towards yeah being a little shyer on overs and games that have a decent chance of being a blowout and looking more towards unders, if anything, in those in those spots. Rick, I was listening the other day. Doc Rivers was on a podcast and was talking about the Clippers and said in his mind he thinks the Clippers are the most talented team in the NBA, which I, I thought was quite the statement. Now, obviously, with Harden and Paul George and Kawhi, they certainly are. But, I mean, where are you on that? I'm, do you buy that the Clippers are the most talented team in the NBA? Would you take them over like a Boston, Milwaukee, a Denver, uh, any of those teams? I think if anything, if we've learned anything the last couple of years in the NBA, it's that it's not as much about accumulating the most talent as it used to be. Like the fact that we're kind of shying away from the three true star aspect of this, which I consider – two superstars and a and a star in James Harden. I don't consider him a superstar at this point of his career, but I would still take Denver. I know it's an angle that I've been looking at and been talking with a few other people and kind of in agreement of if you're going to look towards futures for the conference for the finals, it's Denver versus who in the East or something, you know, those types of things to try and add some value to uh, a portfolio as the season's progressing. And that's kind of what I'm looking at. I still think like the Clippers have been great. They look really good. Could they beat Denver? Sure. But am I going to bet on that at this point? No, but they do have a ton of talent. I just don't know necessarily. We do need to see it in that playoff setting. And while they have been working well together, the Denver starting five is still the best starting five in the league. And they've been getting just enough off of their bench to where I still trust the Nuggets. And it feels like maybe this regular season is a bit of just 
you know, going through the motions. They're still very good. They're right up there in terms of the standings, but it just feels like this team is doing what they need to do, staying sharp enough, and they're going to be there at the end, top three seed most likely, and they're going to be ready for the playoffs to make another run, and I want to be on them in some way, shape, or form. You brought up Milwaukee earlier, and they got the big game winner from Dame, so maybe like, I don't know, maybe they build off of that, but I don't know. I just don't trust them right now defensively. I don't know if they're going to be able to even really make a move at the deadline. I don't know what they have to give up. Where are you at right now? I know we talked last week with Milwaukee and Boston in the East because I feel like those are obviously going to be the two top teams. You can make the case for Philly. Um, but where are you at right now with Milwaukee? Like, Do you trust them when we get to the playoffs? Or you know, is the defensive uh, concerns a big worry for you right now? I mean, at least it seems like the defense has – it's not what it was early in the year when basically mm-hmm. all the players had to check Adrian Griffin and be like, dude, we got to do at least some form of what we've been doing before. The offense is good, is set up to be there in the playoffs. So it's just a matter of they don't almost like when you think of what Denver was previously. Like, can the offense be real, like great to elite and have the defense be fine? Be like if they could get that defense up to 12 around there, like play at that yeah. type of level, then I mean, that's a big step from right now because just. Uh, looking at an adjusted defensive rating on dunks and threes, they're at 16th at 116.5. The Knicks are at 11th at 113.8. So that's a, it's a pretty big jump to try and get to that range. So until they show a little more movement there, yeah, like I am I'm, I'm, worried about them. I still would take Boston over them. And probably because, as I mentioned last week, I don't trust Boston as much. That's why I would look at maybe in a finals matchup, not – Denver versus Boston, but maybe Denver over Boston, that type of thing, just because Denver's shown it more and they're better in the clutch times than Boston has been. That would be if I want to try and add some value to where it's a little bit more than just team versus team right now, that's a way that I could do it. And I just don't know what moves Milwaukee can make. I know it was thrown out of like trying to get Alex Caruso. Well, the the Bulls are delusional enough to think that they're still going to be in this enough to keep guys and also they don't have anything to trade to get a guy like caruso so it's one of those yeah it sounds great in theory but how do you make it happen in practice and i think that's going to be the thought for a lot of names that come up from milwaukee rick we got about two minutes left i want to ask you about the jazz they won six in a row nine of their last ten sexton markinen they've been awesome for utah right now they're the nine seed in the west like, are you buying Utah as, as like a, you know, play-in tournament team in the Western Conference? Possibly, you know, if they get hot, maybe upsetting like Minnesota or OKC if they get one of those matchups in the 1-8 or 2-7. Do you like Utah moving forward? They're fascinating just because of how much better they are, the, at least at the moment, than the sum of their parts. And I mean – you can still get a great number on them to even just make the playoffs. I believe it's uh, plus 500 over at that MGM for them to make the playoffs, be in that final eight. But as I look at the standings, it's basically, okay, the Lakers are floating there. So to me, it's Utah, Houston, and Golden State for one spot in the play-in. And the thing that holds me back from truly trusting Utah the rest of the season is what we saw last year. Danny Ainge is going to be cold-hearted about evaluating this team. So if he's able to get a deal that he likes for whether it's Clarkson to be a sixth man on somebody else's team or Sexton or Chris Dunn, whatever that ends up being, I don't know that 
he's going to value a play-in appearance and at best probably getting wiped in the first round by one of your top couple seeds. I don't know if he's going to value that over still looking towards the future and valuing maybe getting Keontae George more minutes towards the end of the season as opposed to Chris Dunn, who's been actually a revelation for them alongside Markkinen. So they're fun right now. They're a fun bet game to game. I just don't know if I'm going to trust them moving forward to trust that they're going to be this or even be the same team the rest of the season. Rick, thanks so much, man. Good luck tonight with your under, and uh, we'll talk again soon. All right, sounds good, guys. It's our guy thanks, right Rick. there, Rick Camp. Give him a follow on Twitter, X Rick C. Camp, NBA Player Props, 4 for 4 Bets. Uh, good stuff from him. We're going to talk a little golf, Peach, with Joe Idoni. Let's do it. We're going to talk a little bit more football. We're going to hit on some college football as well. we got to talk about the coaching carousel that's going on, not only in college football, but in the NFL. And we got lots more to come. Check us out on Stadium for the next 20 minutes. Ryan Horvath, PJ Glasser, filling in for Nick and Ken. It's You Better You Bet. We'll be right back with You Better You Bet, presented by BetMGM on the BetQL Network. Let's get back to You Better You Bet, presented by BetMGM on the BetQL Network. You Better You Bet, it's Ryan Horvath and PJ Glasser filling in today for Nick and Ken. Don't fear, Nick and Ken will be back on Thursday getting you set for the divisional round. we got a lot to talk about, though. Obviously, college hoops, decent slate tonight, great slate coming up this weekend. Uh, divisional round of the playoffs, we got some NBA, and we got some golf to get to here as well. And to do that, we welcome on now Joe Idoni. You could give him a follow on Twitter. I still call it Twitter. Tour Picks, that's where you could find him. Uh, host of Preferred Lines, uh, a weekly PGA Tour golf betting content. Doing great work again this season. Joe, thanks so much for giving us some time today, man. You're on with Ryan Horvath, PJ Glasser. How are you doing today? Good, guys. What's going on? Uh, I, I still call it Twitter, too, for the record, so <laughs> yeah. I haven't made the transition over. But um honored that you guys would have me on and happy to talk a little PGA Tour golf and break up uh, – you know, all the chaos that's going on in the divisional NFL playoffs. Yeah, Joe, Ryan and I love golf, so we're excited to have you on. I'm going to be honest with you. This is not one of my favorite tournaments of the year. You know, it's one of those weird ones where they're playing at like three different courses and two of them are like extremely easy. So, I mean, just kind of tell people about like this tournament in specific, you know, with maybe some strategy and the different courses. And obviously there's not a cut made until heading into Sunday and, and kind of how you approach the American Express tournament. Yeah, you kind of nailed it. I don't think anybody really loves the format of this tournament. You you have the Pro-Am format once. You're dealing with extremely long rounds. You mentioned that the first three days are split across three different golf courses. Two of them held at PGA West there, and then about five miles away at La Quinta Country Club is the third course. So unusual circumstances that introduces, you know, tons of new variables into golf betting, which, as you guys know, is is hard to predict, hard enough as it is. So um, a lot of additional variables. It's tough for TV coverage because you're spread out all across. There's not shot link data from two courses and shot tracker. So it's definitely not my favorite event on tour either. But I think the pro is, is, is that we get a nice quality field for the second week in a row in one of these non-signature events. You have several of the top names who have made the trip out there to Palm Springs this week, and there's certainly plenty of opportunities, I believe, on the betting board. 
Yeah, let's look at the top of the board. Who do you like at the top? We'll talk some long shots, uh, but who would you look at at the top of the board coming up this weekend? Yeah, so this tournament, it, it, it has not been kind besides last year with John Rahm historically to the favorites. I believe 11 in the last 15 years, you've seen someone 55 to 1 and beyond win this tournament. Uh, we obviously saw Grayson Murray last week, but if I had to pick someone from the top, I would probably ignore the big three and Xander Shoffley, Patrick Cantlay, and of course, Scotty Scheffler. I'm comfortable down in that mid-20 range with someone like Tom Kim, who's got solid course history here. Uh, this is a perfect, ideal course fit for Tom Kim because you're essentially eliminating the middle of the bag and you're hitting shots from 125 yards and in. And then 200 yards and longer are really the two approach ranges that, you know, the proximities of the majority of your shots are going to come in from. An area which he excels, he's won twice in sort of playing desert golf within the last two years. Um, he's someone that I absolutely have circled and have already placed a wager on this week. Love that, Joe. Yeah, I like Tom Kim as well. I had uh, him circled. Sung J.M. was up there for me, too. The guy that I had to, if I had to pick one to win this week, actually, would be uh, J.T. Poston. He's in good form. He had a top five finish last week at the Sony. And, you know, just another guy where I think this course fits him so well and what a great putter he is. So what are your thoughts on uh, Poston this week? Look, as as a golf better who's done this for a while, oftentimes I find myself trying to zig when there are obvious signs pointing to the zag. The obvious glaring jump-off-the-screen signs all align with JT Poston. He's playing fantastic. I bet him as well, so I'm in that boat with you. Seven top tens in the last six months. That's more than any player on the PGA Tour. That's more than Scotty Scheffler. That's three times as many as Xander Schauffele and Patrick Cantlay. Um, he's playing unbelievable golf, and there is not a better wedge player from 100 yards right now on the PGA Tour than JT Poston. He's streaky with the putter, which sometimes concerns me, but you know, typically that's what he's been reliant on for success in the past, but more so lately, it's the iron play. It's the consistency off the tee. He's been putting it all together for quite a long time, and I think he's right on the precipice of breaking through for victory. What are your thoughts on Tony Finau coming into the weekend? I was looking at some like T10, top 10 finishes, and you're getting better than 3-1 to one odds. Plus 350, I think, is the price I saw. One top 10 finish and six career starts at the American Express. But I think if you like look at his last four, he had a T14 and he was tied for 16. Would you do anything with him this weekend, or is that a stay away for you? Probably a stay away on the betting side. However, I'm really interested in DFS. I think he's at an attractive price point number. I think that the majority of people will swerve off of him based on recent form. And I also think this is a this is actually a sneaky good course fit for someone like Tony Fino. I bet him, I believe it was three years ago in 2020, he should have won this tournament that year. Um, he had four and five foot putts on the back nine for birdie that he was consistently missing which has kind of been a struggle right we saw him change up the putting stroke a few uh, like a month ago at the hero world challenge and there's just steady inconsistencies there which have me concerned from an outright betting perspective i think where your thought process was headed which was a top 10 or top 20 bet is probably a much safer place right now for tony finau or if you want to get in one of these large DFS contests and you want to take a stab at a player with high top-end win equity at a very low ownership, he's someone that I would look to there as well. Anybody that you're staying away from or anybody that you would fade in a matchup coming up this weekend? 
Uh, I'm fading Daniel Berger. Um, there's a matchup out there with Will Zalatoris as an underdog against Daniel Berger. Um, interesting, they put those two players together. So, Willie Z, we finally saw come back at the Hero World Challenge and at the Sony. He didn't play well, but he was off basically a six-month hiatus for injury. Daniel Berger has been out since the summer of 2022. Um, he has not played an event since that U.S. Open. Basically a year and a half on the shelf for injury, and he makes his return this week as a favorite against Will Zalatoris, which I just don't understand. I, I think Will Zalatoris, a year from now, two years ago, he's always a better player than Daniel Berger with higher end. You know, he's capable of winning major championships, and I think that him being able to get serious, solid reps under his belt in those first couple of tournaments and maybe shake a little rust will prove him well as, as an underdog in that head-to-head. Joe, already this season we've seen two long shots win. Chris Kirk at the Century, Grayson Murray last week. You mentioned this is a tournament where it's good to bet long shots as well. Throughout the season, like, do you think that this is going to be a theme, especially with Rom leaving for live? And obviously, he, he won a bunch of tournaments last year. I mean, do you think just forecasting golf for this season, do you think it's going to be a good year to bet long shots? You know, I think it kind of levels out through the year, if I'm being honest. Like this time last year, you know, Rom won the century. Rom swept California. It was like all favorites were hitting, and people started to adjust betting strategies. Um, based on playing the top of the board more. I think throughout the year it ends up sort of leveling out. But one of the things that I think we're seeing is the PGA Tour has a lot more depth than maybe we initially gave it credit for when these guys sort of departed for live. And the difference between a player like Grayson Murray and a Tyrrell Hatton or a Matt Fitzpatrick in the top-end talent in the field is not that much over four complete rounds. Like, they on any given week, it's what makes golf betting so special is a guy can walk up to the first tee on Thursday morning at 500 to one odds with a legitimate chance to win. And I really don't feel like it's something that you get typically in other sports. Joe, before we let you go, we got about two minutes here. Uh, what are your uh, outrights? What do you like this weekend? Yeah, so I got Tom Kim. I got JT Poston. The other one that I simply cannot ignore at 35 to one is, is Eric Cole. Um, the guy is absolutely tore apart the fall swing. He's 107 strokes under par in his last seven events. He's been one of the most consistent players. He's got four top four finishes within there. Despite losing strokes putting in a few of those, everything points to Eric Cole. Everything points to JT Poston. I'm all aboard those two guys with Tom Kim. And then a couple of long shots that I like. I mean, I, I really like Eric Van Ruyen at triple digits. He's 100 to 1, 110 to 1 in some spots playing fantastic, won an event uh, two months ago at the Worldwide Technology, and the approach play is really trending in the right direction. And the other guy is Sam Ryder. So Sam Ryder, you can get him all the way down at like 200 to 1 with some really juicy top 20 and top 40 positional bets this week. Um, there's only two players in the field that are gaining over a stroke per round on approach over the last 36 rounds played. One is world number one, Scotty Scheffler. The other is Sam Ryder. Really good value, I think, at, at a massive number at 200 to 1 if you're hoping that long shot trend continues this week at the American Express. Joe Idoni, give him a follow on Twitter at Tor Picks or on X and a host of the Preferred Lions podcast. Check it out. Thanks so much, man. Good luck this weekend. Thanks, guys. Have a great afternoon. Thanks, Joe. What are your bets for the weekend, Peach? Throw them to the people. I'm just, I'm not going to do any research. I'm just going to be that guy and I'm just going to tell your picks. And then if you lose, you're getting DMs, you're getting death threat. No, I'm kidding. <laughs>
just kidding. I'm not. I uh, so I know that Joe isn't as heavy on the favorites. I do like Cantlay this week I, I at ten too. to one. I just yeah. Pat is one of those guys that when it's courses that are birdie fest, he tends to go pretty low. So I like him ten to one. Like Tom Kim, I agree with them. I like some JM. Um, JT Poston, 33 to 1. I absolutely love him. And then if you're looking for a long shot, Adam Shank at 90 to 1 would be a guy that I would look at. Playing good golf. He's a good, great putter. Um, but I thought Joe Braid broke it down really well. You know, this is going to be one of those courses where it's really all about chipping and putting. You know, it's a second shot golf course. Got to be good with your wedges and your putters. The winner's probably going to be like in the high 20s under par. Um, so we'll see what happens, man. It's just one of those weird weeks where. You know, you're playing on three different courses, and it's tough to handicap yeah. and everything. So yeah. we'll see. They got a great field, though. It's like the best field they've ever had at this tournament. Yep, yep, yep. I'm excited, man. I can't believe we're talking golf, though, especially because um, I don't even know when I'm going to get my car back because of a snowstorm. We're sitting here talking some golf, but it's been yeah. a crazy start to the season. Like you said, Grayson Murray was 350 to 1, and then Chris Kirk was 200 to 1, and those are your two event winners so far. Yep. Still got a lot to talk about coming up tonight. We're going to continue to preview the divisional round. Also, we got to talk about the coaching carousel with Jim Harbaugh taking interviews with the Chargers. What does that mean for Michigan? We'll talk a little college football. Uh, do you see Jim Harbaugh going to the NFL? J.J. McCarthy's leaving Michigan for the NFL draft. I think that's a sign that Harbaugh is gone. You think there's any chance that Harbaugh goes somewhere where he could draft J.J. McCarthy? Remember in any given Sunday when Pacino leaves and then him and uh, Willie Beeman reunite? I mean, it could happen. I, I don't think it does. I don't think it does. I don't think it does either. Final hour of the show. We also have power hour coming up. We got one game in progress right now with Tennessee beating up on Florida at home. We got a great college hoop slate. Three games in the association. We'll try to get some NBA picks for you before we get out of here. So you better you bet. Ryan Horvath, PJ Glasser filling in for Nick and Kev. We'll be right back with You Better You Bet, presented by BetMGM <laughs> on the BetQL Network.